welcome back tonight's guest I found on Twitter after searching uh, the psychedelic content you crave. Actually, it was on Jay Dyer's post. He had a post about, I think, the elite or the academia doing studies on DMT. And you had made a comment um, that specifically DMT was definitively, in your opinion, evil. And so when I find people that have definitive opinions, I want to poke their brain a little bit, see what they got there. Definitive answer from, but... Oh, I got here, right. Exactly. So, yeah, I bought his book immediately, and it's The Return of the Dragon, The Shocking Way Drugs and Religion Shape People and Societies. Welcome, Louis Unget. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, great, uh, great to talk to you. Welcome to the Float Universe. You're very welcome. It was a great read. It was a, it was perfect for somebody like me, especially when I got halfway through it. It was really changed my opinion on a lot of things. For those that are just listening to this podcast for the first time, for you or for you, you don't probably know that much about me, but I lived in a float center for like two years, and prior to that, I was doing a bunch of psychedelics. And when I lived in the float center, I was doing like high-level, high-dose psychedelic experiences with myself and with people that would come in, customers and friends alike. And when I say high-dose, I'm talking two tabs, maybe four or five grams of mushrooms um, and above. That's what I would consider. Yeah, serious, uh, serious stuff. And and I got some serious therapy out of it. And I reached a point where I didn't want to do it anymore because I kind of, I'd reached, I kind of hit a wall with it. And it kind of said, do this stuff and don't come back. And I've, I've yet to heed its advice ultimately which we may get to, but that's another story for another time. But I was finding tons of benefit in it. And I thought I was helping people out. And I'm like, I came to the conclusion for me that DMT is kind of like this mirrored reality unfiltered of your like unconscious or your subconscious stuff that's just swimming around. And it's, I think it's there to be beneficial. And where I think the evil stuff comes from is people who haven't done work or they're malicious in their intent. They're, they, they are evil. And I think that is what's mirrored back to them. But I, I could be wrong because again, I'm, I'm, I'm. That's why I'm, I wanted to talk to you because I'm like, well, he, he seems to know something perhaps that I don't. And I'm always looking for people um, that have done DMT that are writing about it. Very few people actually have done it as much as we probably have. Let alone they don't want. Most people don't want to talk about it. They want to be anonymous or they don't want to talk about it at all because of the. You know, it's an illegal drug still. Sure, sure. Yeah. And I, I should clarify, um, I have done mushrooms and I've done LSD and I've done uh, mescaline. I've never actually done DMT. So I, I do want to clarify that uh, as we as we get started here. So, Well, that was one of the questions the audience wanted to know was, what was your level of psychedelic experience prior to writing this book? How many, how much have you done? Would you say, like, for example, I would say I'm not a full on expert, but I'm a, like above novice where like i said i've I've probably done high level mushroom trips 40 50 times and acid probably 30 40 times and then microdosing for periods on and off and those are my main two i I heard you did the cactus i've done smoked dmt probably six or seven six or seven times with maybe three real real like true breakthroughs sure yeah so so what's what's your experience so um first of all i i want to say i um don't believe that any of my argument is based on how experienced I am. So in other words, when I wrote this book, I I didn't say, hey, I had this bad experience or this good experience and therefore this or that. Um, this book is largely based on scientific studies, philosophy, theology. Um, so I didn't um, 
I didn't base it on my own personal experience. I did have a couple of points where, because one of the pushbacks I typically get when I talk about this is people are like, well, you, you haven't done it. That's why you think it's bad or whatever, yeah. which just incidentally is not true. I have, you know, I've, I've done a, a variety of psychedelic drugs and, and um, so it's, it's not like I'm completely un inexperienced. I definitely wouldn't call myself an expert. Um, when I was um, high school age into early college, um, I did a variety of psychedelics. I did like uh, some of the stuff I listed, LSD, um, decent amounts of LSD. I did mescaline. I did uh, decent amounts of of, of mushrooms. Um, smoked a, a ton of weed. And I'm glad and, you did. I'm uh, glad you did LSD uh, too, because we can talk about that. Because I've had a lot of experience with LSD, and I've of, of the stuff that's in your book, I've experienced more of that in the LSD realm than DMT. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that was one of the, the interesting things for me was seeing how, depending on your dosage, a lot of this, a lot of the things I talk about overlap between those different worlds. And then one of the other interesting things, because for people who haven't read my book, I talk a lot about the history of the usage of, you know, a variety of psychedelic drugs. Um, and one of the other interesting things is people of various ancient cultures will talk about doing drugs that helps them see the gods or whatever. Um, but they don't necessarily, we don't know exactly what it is they were taking. Um, so it's interesting for me that it's not like just DMT or just ayahuasca are the only things that kind of give you the experiences that I talk about in the book. It's, it's a variety of, of drugs that can take you to a similar state depending on the amount you take depending on the experience that you have you know and some of the other stuff you talked about like the environment and, and that yeah. kind of thing Set and um, setting and, yeah exactly yeah so so for the record yeah. you you have done ayahuasca no i have not i have not oh, done so dmt you, or no, ayahuasca. Oh, oh, so, yeah. so yeah. in any so, form yeah. no dmt okay that, that is correct yeah yep so well that's um, interesting because that's what i like about your book is it's very biblically based and sound and so if you go we can go back a little bit this is a great book, by the way. I think people should check it out. It really changed my opinion. By the way, I'm going to just start out by saying I agree with probably like 90% of this, maybe more, if we talk about it at a deeper level. Uh, based on my own experiences, based on what I think about the nature of reality and wh who or what runs the world, maybe even from another realm, I, I yeah, I'm behind, I, I'm behind this book. and actually changed my perspective on a lot of things. So that's what I want you to explain is the biblical part of this is so interesting for me because I'm right on the edge of coming out of years of doing psychedelics and kind of understanding what the nature of reality is from a personal experience in, of that mirror of a high level of like living in a float center, floating every day. Have you ever floated by the way? In a float tank? I have not. No, no, that, that, I've, I've heard of it and it, that's, it's amazing. It's, you should check yeah. it out. Would, would you do it? <laughs> I don't, you know, I, um, I will say I've got, I'll, we can talk about kind of other ways because I, and I do talk about this to some degree in the other book of other ways to kind of enter that spirit world. As you can kind of tell from the book as a whole, I have a, a larger amount of caution about those things. And I didn't when I was young. And the only yeah. reason I didn't do a DMT or ayahuasca or any of anything else we talk about here is just people around me weren't doing it. You know, like it, they, I would have <laughs> just, yeah, it's hard it, to get a hold yeah, of. It's it, not, unless yeah, you it was, make it, it like that's yeah. the big dick thing to do is to make it yourself. But um, yeah, yeah. But I just, I, it just wasn't in my sphere of influence. So I just didn't happen to do it. But uh, 
you know, if, if it had been, I would have. And, um, but I've really just recently as kind of, I would say two years ago, maybe, um, got as cautious as I am and as kind of the, the themes of the book, um, that you see are based on what I've learned just from reading through this and thinking through this and talking to other people and, um, kind of the research that I've done. So what inspired the book? Because it's a great book and it's a, it's a take on psychedelics I've uh, and religion. Because that's the other thing we, I was about to get into, which was, so I grew up Baptist in the South, didn't really care too much about it, lived a basically moral life, but kind of hedonistic, did psychedelics at a certain point. That really brought me into spirituality. And really, I, I was, I'm always trying to reconcile like Christianity that I was taught with the, the experiences of psychedelics and the nature of reality, even just meditation and floating, stuff like that. Yeah, I was going to say, so what got me into it um, really was just like, it was almost um, like breadcrumbs in front of me where I just, I heard, um, actually my wife was, had watched a documentary on DMT and she was like, did you, have you heard of this? And I had heard of DMT, but like, it was again, not around when I was doing that stuff. And just like, I, I was like, I, you know, I didn't really think much of it. And then she started telling me, she was like, yeah, people see the same things. They talk about these elves. They talk about this heavenly geometry and that kind of stuff. And, um, I was like, well, that's, that's interesting, but I kind of set it aside mentally, didn't even really think about it. And then I heard, um, I read some Graham Hancock. I don't know if, how familiar you are with him, but he oh, was yeah. talking about ayahuasca. And I I like him just because of some of the Mesoamerican stuff I think is super interesting. Um, but he also is super into ayahuasca. And he was very interested on it because his opinion is that the what he sees is real. So it's not a brain. It's not what's going on in your brain. Right. It's something outside of himself and heard him say that. And I said, well, that's really interesting. Number one, number two, if that's true, you know, and just taking him seriously, he's an interesting guy that I had some respect for and just taking him seriously. If that's true, then what is it that you're seeing? Like, what, what are you encountering um, when, when you go there? Um, because that kind of goes against like the atheist mainstream that we all live in, right? With this materialist idea, even I would say, and I, I say atheist, but I, I don't even mean just like pure atheists. I mean, even kind of mainstream Christians very much separate the spiritual world and the physical world. And I've got as much skepticism from Christians about this idea that you're encountering something real as I have from atheists, you know, for example, um, that just, we all kind of growing up in the West, we all have this materialistic idea that what we, these three dimensions we live in, that's all there is. And, um, so whatever happens when you take DMT or LSD or mushrooms or ayahuasca or whatever, whatever happens there, it's an interesting brain phenomenon, right? So when, Graham Hancock said, actually, it's not a brain phenomenon. You're tuning into something outside of you. I found that interesting. Oh, and, yeah. and then I kind of just went down the rabbit hole. I started reading. There's like websites that have DMT experiences. So like I started going through those and reading some of those. And it was just like mind-blowing experience after mind-blowing experience. Stuff that didn't seem like it could be explained 
from a materialistic standpoint, like people, um, I gave one a uh, few examples in the book, but you know, people seeing things while on DMT, and then someone that's perfectly sober seeing the same thing as they were waking up or something like that. Whereas, like, okay, there, there's no way if if and again, a lot of this depends on personal testimonies, but if that personal testimony is true, it's not just a natural phenomenon, right? And um, so I went through a ton of that, and it's it's I I found it amazing that all these people had very similar experiences and many of them couldn't be explained purely by uh, materialistic um, causes. And then I got into the studies. I don't know how much you've read of um, uh, some of the Johns Hopkins and, and New York university and university of uh, Wisconsin, uh, Madison mm -hmm. studies, but they're all doing like psychedelic studies these days. And the studies themselves are incredibly interesting reads, right? <laughs> they talk about like the fact that when people take DMT, a majority of them afterwards, an overwhelming majority, something, you know, 80, I can't remember the exact percentage, but large percentages of them say the entities I saw when I was on DMT are real entities, even after they've sobered up. So this isn't, someone in a drug-fueled state saying that was real. This is a sober person saying, I came down. That's real. Those They continue to exist, even though I'm not high anymore. There's a real entity there. And so large percentages of people, what blew my mind was even a majority of atheists that take DMT cease to be atheists. So they go in as these skeptical materialists and they come down and they say, actually, I'm not you know, I'm not an atheist anymore. I'm not a materialist anymore. And um, I take a long time in my book because I know that for a lot of people, that's a big hang up is like, is, is what I'm seeing real is, is what, what people see real. And I spend a lot of time saying, number one, I think we need to take it as real um, from a, for, for, for a lot of different reasons. I think from a scientific standpoint, um, the idea that, Sci if you go back to like Descartes and the foundation of science, uh, what is science? Science ultimately is the observation of phenomenon. Um, so if you read Francis Bacon, Francis Bacon, who um, is often credited as the founder of the uh, scientific theory, Francis Bacon said, he's very interesting if you read him, he talks about testing paranormal things. Um, so he talks in Francis Bacon's works, he talks about how certain things that back in the his, his day, the 16th century, 17th century, you could um, test things that people believed in 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 a paranormal sense. So they they believed that if someone was murdered, um, certain their ghost would come and and visit. And he was like, "Well, we could set up a test for this." And this idea of science is based on observation, so it's not necessarily an exclusion. A lot of modern day atheists will say it's the exclusion of supernatural causes. That's not what science is. Science is the observation of things. So it's a, a setting up a test and then observing it. And then of course, taking the observation seriously. Like if I am testing gravity and I drop a brick and I measure how fast it drops and that gives me um, a, a formula for, for gravity, of course, it depends on my observation not being me hallucinating, right? So the the observation is an important part of what science is. 
And if a majority of people, including a majority of people, are, are scientists, or, or I'm sorry, atheists, are saying this is real, I don't think we can just say, well, they're wrong, right? From a scientific standpoint, I, mm-hmm. I think it's you, you, that's presuming the the conclusion, begging the question from a logical standpoint, and it it's uh, a failure of science to take that seriously. So, you know, for, from my perspective, it's it's I think we have to take it seriously. And then, kind of the rest of the book is like, if we take that seriously, um, what could it be, and what are some possible explanations. And I talk about science. So from a scientific standpoint, um, most since quantum physics, at least, most people don't think most quantum physicists don't believe that three dimensions is all there are. Most believe there's up to 10 dimensions, maybe more um, dimensions that we live with. And um, Stephen Hawking, for example, says, you know, there's 10 uh, dimensions that there are. And um, if you know about um, dark matter or dark energy, there's a lot of stuff in those other dimensions, according to you know atheistic, materialistic mm-hmm. science. Um, there's a lot of stuff in there. And so there's nothing that would exclude us somehow being able to see into those other dimensions, um, somehow being able to interact with things in those other dimensions. And in theory, nothing to exclude there being entities that we could encounter in those other dimensions. Um, so from just like a pure science standpoint, there's at least no reason why we would need to exclude that. And then I talk about the philosophy. So philosophically, um, ex- you know, prior to Christianity, you take Plato, you take Aristotle, you take the the ancient Greek philosophers. They all had this sense that there was these um something different when christians talk about god we talk about this um uh this unmoved mover this infinite god it's it's a uh, the god of the philosophers is what people talk about uh but then guys like aristotle or guys like plato or guys like the the stoics from from rome um they they had a sense that there was kind of this divine unmoved mover but then there were all these smaller entities the 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 uh gods of the pantheon zeus uh, you know and and the whole whole pantheon of of greek and roman gods that they believed in as well um so they, those two weren't in conflict with one another mm-hmm. and then i guess to get to the last point and i'll i'll stop here and you can ask me whatever you want but then what i i moving from science to philosophy to theology um the theology of christianity specifically i talk about the fact that within so within Science, you have that potential for that other dimension within kind of pagan or or non-Christian uh, philosophy. You have that potential, and then within Christianity, you have that potential for that other dimension. And and one of the interesting things is um, if you read Christian authors like uh, N.T. Wright, for example, who's a theologian at Oxford and Cambridge, um, he talks about the fact that. We should not view heaven as a place necessarily, but as a dimension. So there's a heavenly dimension. Um, and he says that confuses a lot of people, but there's this heavenly dimension. So um, kind of what I talked about is like there's all these different streams of knowledge, whether it's the scientific, whether it's the philosophical, or whether it's the theological. And they all bring us back to this idea that there's this potential other dimension that has potentially real things in it 
And that seems like, for me, like a collection of evidence that should be impactful for people. And if that's true, and then we go back to the beginning and we say, okay, we have all these people claiming that they take this drug and they see into this other dimension. Why not take them seriously? Like, why, why are we being skeptical? And, and, you know, in my mind, we shouldn't be, we should take it seriously. And then kind of the rest of the book is like, who are the entities? What are they? Well, no, you make a whole argument with the pharma, the pharmacia though, too. That was the big part of the book for me, which was yeah. the, 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 the translation that people aren't going on. They're just looking at it and saying, oh, well, that's witchcraft. I mean, I'll let you explain it, obviously, because yeah. I'm butchering it. But that was that was the, what really got me hooked into the book was when you started going into the biblical stuff and the pharmacia and the Greek. And by yeah. the way, I wanted to say you've got three degrees. Can you uh, give us a little bit of your background? Sure. Yeah, I've got an engineering degree. Um, and. And that was my undergraduate. And then I went on and got a business uh, and finance degree. And then I uh, went back and I got a theological degree, um, seminary degree. So I've got uh, kind of a diverse background, which um, one of the things I, I write about is how important it is to have a, a wide variety of knowledge. And the oh, only yeah. sci scientists like Isaac Newton was an expert in pretty much every field you could think of. And nowadays, everybody's very specialized. So, yeah, that's that's my background. Well, I just wanted people to know you're not some random meme person because I, I don't I couldn't really I didn't look too hard, but I didn't really find you on Instagram. And that's where I have a lot of my audience. And it's just memes about, um, you know, making fun of stuff, psychedelics, spirituality, yeah. um, and all the modalities we use uh, with the float tank and breathing, yeah, I, all those things. I don't know if you know who this uh, is, but he's. Um, writes on uh, psychedelic stuff and he was telling me that I should get on Instagram and I did put a page up, but I don't ever okay. go on there. I, okay. I spend all my time on Twitter. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's where you got, that's where I found you too, by the way, Twitter, the um, whole thing about the pharmacia. Uh, yeah. You want me, my to, mind, want me to talk to that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. So what I, everything I talked about so far was just kind of setting the stage for who are the entities, right? So then I go into Christianity and I say, why is it that your typical thought, when you think of a church picnic, for example, people might have a beer, depending on what denomination they are, but nobody is cracking open joints. Nobody is cracking open you know, the mushroom bag or whatever. And why is that? And especially why is that given that in the ancient world, that was a major part of religion. Almost every religion had some kind of drug used for spiritual purposes. And, you know, I, I said, why does that make sense? And actually, if you Google, if you just like look up in the English translation, like what does the Bible say about drugs? Nothing pops up. You know, it's, it has a bunch of, a typical website will say, well, the Bible condemns people getting too drunk. Therefore, we shouldn't do drugs that also kind of make you drunk or whatever, which not that big of a warning, honestly. And like you could say, okay, well, you shouldn't do drugs or alcohol in that matter. Or maybe maybe the warnings, maybe there's no warning against drugs. Maybe we should be doing pot instead of well, what do you think alcohol of the, or whatever. So what, what do you think of the seed bearing plant argument? Because that's the stoner argument for biblical weed. Have you heard um, that? Have you heard that argument before? Yeah, tell me. Yeah, what are? Tell me that argument. Exactly. I have to look up the exact okay. verse, but basically, it's in the first part. It's in the uh, in the Old Testament where God's talking about things that are forbidden and not forbidden, and on the good side are all seed-bearing plants, and so marijuana users contend that 
because marijuana is a seed bearing plant. Therefore, you know, God says it's okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think that, um, whenever God gives a command like that in the Bible, there, there's gotta be some qualifications for it, right? Like if we just think of pure poison, right? right so right. You, you, if you said God gave us every plant to eat and we say, okay, well, let's go eat some hemlock. And people are like, whoa, 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 don't do that. That will kill you. And you say, well, God gave it to us. You know, so like, I, right. I feel like there's, there's gotta be some qualifications there. Um, even though God did give us the earth, of course, but you can, any, any gift God gives you, you can do. Well, and right also, you know, wrong with it. That's also an argument against mushrooms I've heard, which is mushrooms are not seed bearing, right? They're spores. So to, you know, they're to be avoided sure. under that, yeah. if you, under that interpretation. But what I guess to get back to what I was saying is that there's there's this question like why did Christians it, it's arguably is the biggest change from the ancient religions to modern day religion and and even modern day proponents of psychedelic drugs like Terence McKenna talk about this is like Christianity has this weird thing where we deleted all the drugs used for magic or used for spiritual purposes used to see into this other dimension. And they view it as a real negative thing. So I said, well, you know, why did Christianity do that? And when you Google drugs, it like doesn't even pop up in the Bible. And you're like, what is going on? And then I remembered my seminary training. Obviously, the New Testament was written not in English, but it was written in Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but there's a very well-known Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint that was used by the apostles, was quoted most often by the apostles, very influential in their writing, obviously. And when you go to the Greek, the word drugs is all over the Greek. You know, so and what I point out is that the reason we don't, if you just Google the English translation of the Bible, the reason we don't see it is because the word is pharmakai or pharmakia, um, pharmakos, depending on there's different conjugations of the word, but the depending on the conjugation, um, the word is pharmakia and the that word translates, and I, I spent some time in the book talking, going directly to the lexicon. So this isn't just my opinion, but going directly to the lexicons. That book, that word translates to something along the lines of drugs used for spiritual or magical purposes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that, that was blew my mind. Yeah, so throughout the New Testament and throughout the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, there's this warning against don't use pharmakia, don't use drugs for spiritual purposes. And once you realize that and you start looking through those references, the warnings are insane. So like very strict warnings against using pharmakia, very strict um, uh, uh, statements about what we should do when someone uses pharmakia to the point where, and you and I were talking a little bit before we get started here, to the point where it's, it's almost over the top. Where it's like, do not allow the person that uses pharmakia to live, right? Do not, you know, and so very strong language. Uh, St. Paul in the New Testament says the person that uses pharmakia will not enter the kingdom of God. Um, the revelation of St. John says pharmakia will lead whole nations astray. Um, so there, there's these extreme warnings about pharmakia throughout the Greek translation of the Bible, and which is the original translation in the case of the New Testament. And for me, that was that changed my entire view of, okay, there's a giant warning here that the apostles were giving. And by the way, it's not just the apostles, it was the early church. You read, and I, I'd spent a little bit of time with this in the book and 
I've got articles up on my website, but it was also the first generation of Christians, um, second generation of Christians, and throughout Christian history, there was just warning after warning of don't use drugs for spiritual purposes over and over again. And typically translated as sorcery because it was so widely used by sorcerers, by shaman, to see into that other world. Yeah, no, it's incredible. And then you go into, they take this and they've spread it throughout the world going into these places where they're killing, you know, they're doing human sacrifice. And you make this point over and over again in the book where it's, you know, drugs, human sacrifice. And what's the other thing you say? I forget what it is, but. Yeah, serpent entities. Oh, serpent oh. entities. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. you got you got you got you got lizard people. You've got drugs, and you've got you know, human sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is um, if you know I, your audience, I don't know how familiar they are with the, oh, that, the Bible. Bible, but that's a major theme in the Bible. Obviously, the Garden of Eden um, has a serpent there, and I kind of start the book with like um, you know, this woman encounters a serpent that encourages her to eat something, and all kinds of evil enter the world. Um, happens there kind of a paradigm for um, the religions of the world, right? Like you look at ancient Greece, you look at um, Northern Europe, you look at especially Mesoamerica. We have so many stories from Mesoamerica of them consuming mushrooms, seeing serpent entities, and then going out and killing at ridiculous rates of, of human sacrifice. And so that tying together of those three themes is a major reoccurring theme throughout the religions of the ancient world and even through to today, which, by the way, I should note, going back to Graham Hancock, Graham Hancock talking about his ayahuasca experience, he said, I encounter, um, you know, I wish I had the quote right in front of me, but he said, I encounter, many people encounter a, a human-woman hybrid. She's known as Mother Ayahuasca, and he says, I have encountered her many times myself. It continues on to this day, and I've talked to a lot of people that have encountered the serpent, you know, as and I don't know if you have, but uh, have encountered oh, yeah. the serpent oh, as, yeah. as, many, as many part times. of their experience. Mine was really with LSD. As much as I did DMT, DMT was always, and again, I equate my, and I tell this for everybody, it's based on your frequency. One time I was on LSD, and I really got this clear, it was clear to me. Uh, one of my favorite things to do was to do LSD at a very high dose and then marijuana, and then that would really start the show. One time I learned that relative to your frequency is what kind of portal it opens up when you're on some of these things. And so if you're in a low state of being, if you're in a fear state, or, you know, if you're high vibing, you know, you're going to encounter relative beings at that frequency. So demonic, you know, in fear states and below, demonic. And, and it gets worse and worse as you go. And then above that, that's why I think a lot of my experiences were... And I'm sure I've had my handfuls of like, like, like I said, lizard skin dimension, LSD, lizard skin dimension was one was what they told me one time. And, then, and and for about three or four trips, I felt like I had this ongoing conversation with a, a lizard type entity that was trying to make a Faustian bargain with me to help it to bring technology into the world. And I said, I obviously didn't make the deal that that became an interesting theme there for a while, because with the float tank, you can. And LSD really benefits from this, where you, the, the, it's like a meditator's drug. The more still you can be, it's all about going inward. And so a float tank gives you the opportunity uh, to be very still, very quiet, very relaxed, where you can go deeper into these experiences. They're also really good for, you know, post psychedelic trip, where you want to ground into the experience and bring it back down a little bit. 
Um, but you know, like the magnesium, all that stuff. I'll have to set you up with a float if you're interested in it later. But yeah, the whole the whole pharmacia and then Christianity going into the uncivilized human sacrificing lizard worshiping world. One thing I didn't I noticed though that I don't think you mentioned in your book was Catholicism is full of snake stuff just too. I mean, the Pope sits in a room shaped like a snake's head, and he's got a, a Holocaust behind him of like snakes and have you seen all the the the, the snakes? Have, yeah, that's incredibly disturbing. Um, I that's a whole different subject in terms of what's going on with um kind of the Pope and the occult. Um, there's a very interesting book um called Orthodoxy and the Religion of the Future um by Father Seraphin Rose. I don't know if you've read that book, but I would highly recommend it to you and to any of your listeners but are you orthodox um, um i am orthodox curious <laughs> i'm orthodox adjacent so, with the psychedelic spiritual okay. stuff. That, that's like i found that's the um, most like christian psychedelic friendly form of christianity and, and potentially the most you know untarnished yeah um i i don't know i i will say um i i don't know that i necessarily would agree with the, you on that i would say that they're psychedelic aware um, that they're aware of the spiritual world in a way that Protestantism and Catholicism may not be. Right. Um, I mean, like more like parallels of like, so I, I'm having an experience with a psychedelic that I can't put into something, maybe a word, but I, I've listened to like a few really big Orthodox um, YouTubers, Jay Dyer and David Patrick Harry. Do you, do you, do you listen to him? Yeah. Yep. He's, he's great. I think he's probably one of the best ones. But no offense to anybody else, but um, <laughs> I, yeah, I found that the Orthodox Christianity stuff has been the most friendly to people coming out of an ungrounded psychedelic like journey. Yeah. Um, so I I think um, that book, uh, Orthodoxy and the Religion of the Future, um, I think might be it might cause you to question that a little bit, just in terms of. Um, what his awareness, I don't, I don't know how much you know Father Seraphim Rose, but he came from kind of a new age background, did that for years, went to India, I believe, to to um, study the Eastern religions and entering into the other spirit world, etc. And he talks kind of about the dangers associated with that um, and associated with um, what you encounter and why the skepticism um, that he has regarding um all of those experiences and i actually discovered him after i wrote this book i wish i had read him before but it was it's funny you write a book like this and all of a sudden you run into people that are like oh you sound like this or you sound like that so that's one of the interesting things is that after writing this book you know um a lot of people kind of pointed me in the direction of um of some of the orthodox writings on this and i've i found them incredibly interesting another guy that writes on these subjects is um i'm gonna butcher his name but father uh spirit spiridon bailey father spiridon bailey who wrote um ufo ufo deception um where he argues that ufo encounters are often actually um encountering the demonic world um but anyway i i find all that interesting but um like I said, that was all I all stuff I discovered after the book. So I I did put some stuff on my Substack about kind of the overlap between 
what I found and kind of what Eastern Orthodox have have talked about or Russian Orthodox at least have talked about. Um, but um, yeah, there's definitely, they definitely have more to say about the spiritual world than I would say most modern day Protestants or modern day Catholics do. But to get back to your point on the Pope, I do find it disturbing. I don't think it's, I don't think it's good Catholicism, for example. And I, I think that to the extent that that the Pope or to the extent that there are leaders in the Catholic Church doing that, I, I would say there's a spiritual battle going on in the Catholic Church. And just for the sake of the world, I pray that um, there's um, the, the good wins that. And I pray that, you know, there's they're not given over to that. But I, I do think there's, it's a weird, um, I follow a couple of guys on Twitter that are, are Catholics that are pointing a lot of that stuff out. And it's, it's a weird thing going on. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know enough about it to really talk to it, uh, other than to say, I, I don't think the serpent um, symbolism is something the ancient Catholic Church had. Um, I do think that's stuff that is creeping in now, which is very interesting. Do you think the elites, I don't know if you ever listen to Alex Jones or anything like that, but do you think the elites are communicating, like doing DMT drips where they can just lay there for hours on end and communicate with these things? Do you think the elite do stuff like that where they are trying to, like I said, this thing wanted to make a Faustian deal with me, it seemed, and I don't know nobody, but you know how demons work. I mean, imagine what they're doing with somebody, you know, like at an Elon Musk level where you're sitting there just getting the the DMT drip. Yeah. Um. I. You know, I I do think that the people that are in the know on this, and I, I it, there's interesting things going on with, like if you look at the history of CERN, um, the um, Atom Smasher in Geneva, um, and you know this kind of scientific center, um, it is interesting how they they are mixing in the occult with what they do. And it's interesting how this DMT studies they're they're doing that more and more. Um, World Economic Forum had a, a psychedelic breakout uh, recently, and it's interesting that this is being introduced. And I do think that there are um, I don't know who is and who isn't, but I do think that there are people that know that something is real here that they don't say it to the public but they know something's real here and they're engaging in it and i so i don't know to what extent they're doing it but i will say it would not a wouldn't surprise me very much and b i think is certainly happening on some level with some people um a lot of these dmt studies i can't remember what uh what organization did what news organization did the study on it but there was a or a story on it but there was there's recently been efforts to have have long-term DMT trips with the drips, like you said, to explore the DMT world and to go in there. So yeah, I, th I think without question, science either intentionally or just blindly stumbling into it is getting involved in these other dimensions. And I think that's a, a scary thing for yeah, them to be know, doing. Like the elite taking was. orders from yeah. uh, higher order, yeah. demonic, and well, lower order potentially, but yeah, demonic entities. Yeah, and I I think like one of the interesting things, uh, like Graham Hancock was talks about, he'll go on like a Joe Rogan or whatever, and he'll say, you know, it, the world would be better if you know all the 
all the politicians had to do DMT or had to do ayahuasca, just a couple ayahuasca trips, he says, and they'd be better. And I, no. I, you know, in my, in my <laughs> mind, I'm like, listen, you know, the, we've done that before and it's called the Inca and they sacrificed at an industrial rate. <laughs> so the, 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 we, we've had organs, we've had governments that are run by people that are encountering these entities as not good. And that's the interesting thing. I, um, I cite a book called um, The Serpent Entity in the Ancient Near East. Um, it was written by a guy named Leslie Wilson, um, who um, is a scholar at Yale. And he was, um, he talked about how the serpent entity um, invariably asked for human sacrifice. So throughout the ancient Near East, they had all these serpent entities, and they almost always were tied together with human sacrifice, almost across the board. It's it is, it's interesting when people, on a massive level, get involved in this stuff. How dangerous it can get. And reading, just reading, if you go through the Spanish accounts of when they showed up and saw the Aztecs, it's incredibly interesting. I have an article on my Substack. I didn't put this in the book. I tried to keep the book readable. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Like I didn't want to have a 300-page book or whatever. I wanted to keep it readable and make my point and be done with it so that people could read it. Um, but I had all the extra research I had done. I started throwing on my website. So I have a bunch on the the stories of the um, the Spanish as they met the Aztecs, but they would the Spanish would show up and the Aztec they said the Aztecs would be eating mushrooms. And the mushrooms often had like the name the the dragon or the lizard or the serpent. And they would eat the the mushroom. They would encounter their gods. And then the the Spanish said that then they'd go crazy and, and engage in cannibalism or go crazy and and it, the Spanish directly linked the psychedelic experience for the Aztecs with their insane violence. And the Aztecs were about as industrial as you could be with human sacrifice. I mean, some scholars rank the number of human sacrifices they did as much as 250,000 people a year. Um, even if you cut that number in a third or whatever, it's a, a, yeah, a it's ridiculous incredible. rate of human sacrifice. Um, and um, they, they did that through encountering these entities taking advice from these entities and getting something in return like you said faustian bargain you know getting knowledge getting uh insight getting enlightenment in their own minds but those entities had dark demands you know so as they engaged in in uh the psychedelic usage they encountered entities that then asked them to do things uh to get more of whatever they were offering and you know that's where you know you see just horrific stuff throughout the world as people engage in in this practice yeah that, that's what i found interesting too was you know there are certain points where you're like yeah it was a culture they worship lizards they you know they sacrifice humans and they did drugs i'm like well which drugs you know i wish you would have specified that that was the only really nagging point i had with the whole book was at that certain point i'm like what were they actually doing? Because a lot of this stuff is actually a mystery of what they were actually doing. We don't really know. Yeah, yeah. Like, and that, unfortunately, is a bit of, uh, I would have specified, and I did where it is known. Um, in a lot of these, 
accounts, we know they were taking a drug. They talk about taking a particular mm -hmm. plant or substance, right. but we just don't know what that was, right? So we just the the word doesn't translate anymore. You know, it's you know, the, it's like what, 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 whatever. Yeah, yeah. What's soma, right? You know, right? Soma. Yeah, soma is a great example where we know for a fact they did a drug that helped them see the spiritual world, but we don't know exactly what it was. And guys like Terrence McKenna will spend a lot of time speculating. I could have cited everything he talks about, but I just don't trust it enough to like put it as my own opinion. I'd rather leave it as kind of an unknown. Um, mm -hmm. But the other thing I point out is, and you've talked about it a little bit, is that it's not the only way to engage in, in to see the spiritual world, right? There's, there's um, non-chemical ways to see into the spiritual world that give similar experiences. And so you know, I sometimes it was a combination, right? So sometimes they would do something that was a, a relatively mild psychedelic drug, you know, even something like hashish or whatever, mm -hmm. um, that they would combine with um, sleep deprivation or dancing or, um, you know, going up on high heights or whatever, like going some kind of exercise of, of, you know, or in the case of, you know, yoga, for example, just some kind of um, centering of your body and mental exercises, et cetera, combined with the pharmacia, and that would give them the 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 experience of seeing the entities. Uh, yeah, I think that was a lot of times the key was not only, you know, to take the things, but to have focused intention, which is why I can still defend psychedelics after reading this book to a degree. And, and I, I don't, and, and you're very fair, by the way, you, you do say, you know, people report benefits. It's could be argued, but here's the facts on these cultures. Here's what the Bible says. And so for those people, this is a really great book for people who don't have any experience with these things at all. They'll, they'll probably never do them, but they might run into somebody like a, their kid or a friend talks about it. And this gives you insight into it. And yeah, they, I will agree. Like if you're not ready for it, even a friendly entity can unground you from reality in ways you've never thought possible before. You come back from DNT and you know, DMT, Terrence McKenna talks about the only thing really you're gonna die of is astonishment. You know, like that's the worst it's gonna be. It's, and the, the beautiful thing about DMT and its defense, when you smoke it, it's five minutes and you come back and there's no like you're not ringing like a bell like you are an acid for a day after or, or however long it is because you took a high dose. All right, so that was great. We're gonna go to a little break here. We're gonna have uh, Lewis uh, send us out with one of his songs he's picked. Uh, we'll see you on the other side of the break. Thank you for joining us on tonight's episode.
All right, but yeah, man, that was great. Uh, really awesome book. I did learn a lot, and it really has sparked interest in researching some of these things deeper. This book made it harder to defend biblically, that's for sure, where it talks about, yeah, these people are, you know, these drug sorcerers. And it made me think about ayahuasca. It's surely, that surely is a witch's brew, right? It's in a kettle. It's a big old pot. I, I that You know, just thinking about it just from a little bit different angle. I've never actually sat down and had the brew. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, that was, a, for me, a mind-blowing thing when I realized all the iconography that we have for witches is like them going out in the woods and mixing brews. And, you know, we've got all that iconography. And most people don't connect that with making drugs, right? So, But that, that almost certainly is where that iconography comes from. It's like the uh, the earliest meth labs out, yeah, <laughs> out in the yeah. woods there. So what do you think about, and I don't really think you touched too much on it, you didn't really talk about our modern society I mean, you did kind of actually, which I appreciate the bloodlust of, um, you know, Planned Parenthood and, and Sanger. You, get, you got into that, which I thought was amazing. Yeah. Um, if you want to talk about that a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Um, so and that was another one that I, I fortunately found while I was still writing the book, but I learned a lot more after the book. Um, but so Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion provider in the United States. Um, I think the largest in the world. I could be wrong. Um, but it was founded by a person named Margaret Sanger, who, by the way, was not a nice person. She like abandoned her kid and cheated on her husband, was not not a great person, but she founded Planned Parenthood. She also was very much into eugenics, didn't, you know, thought that there were lower races and higher races and some people shouldn't have kids, et cetera. That's the whole reason she founded um Planned Parenthood. But as she was founding it, she um she was a big proponent of abortion. Um, and she was trying to figure out, okay, how do we get Planned Parenthood going? What's the right way to do it? And she met with her lover and mentor, an Englishman named Havelock Ellis, who is famous in his own right, um, as a scholar, um, kind of maybe the founder of the sexual revolution. Um, and Havelock Ellis, um, gave her advice and helped her get, um, Planned Parenthood set up. One of the interesting things he said was like, let's let's roll out the abortion slowly let's start with just birth control and then we'll get to abortion so he gave her a bunch of advice and kind of made it successful so i you know without his advice there probably would be no planned parenthood um but here's the crazy thing about havelock ellis is havelock ellis is maybe the founder of the modern psychedelic movement. <laughs> he wrote large papers on mescaline and did scientific studies and tested on his friends and had his own access to the pharmacy where he'd try and mix up other brews and make other stuff. He was, Havelock Ellis was highly into, you know, to get back to that word, pharmacia. He was, he was very deep in that world. And here's the guy that came up with how to build the world's largest abortion organization and for me that was like holy cow like i didn't even expect that like it was something like i said i kind of caught at the end of the book was like when we think about modern day human sacrifice well we don't really have it at least not at this moment but maybe we kind of do right maybe there's that serpent still has an appetite um, for babies and it, it figured out a different way to do it or, you know, in the, in the short term. So that's, yeah, I, I, 
that was for me a kind of a mind-blowing twist that I found just in my research. And for, for me, this book has been really interesting because there's been so many moments like that where I've I've so many pieces have kind of fit together to say, oh my good, there's that pattern again. There's that pattern again. And it's it's almost everywhere where we look and it's it's been really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. I'm sure you know uh, this, but for the audience's sake, the planned parenthood building is a step pyramid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, is that, that's the uh, the largest abortion facility I think is in Dallas or whatever. And yeah, it looks like a Aztec uh, step pyramids. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, terrible. That's another one of those parallels. That's pretty pretty insane. So, so what do you think of the the, the current state of our pharmacia? I, I work at a pharmacy. I don't. I'm not a, a proponent of modern pharmaceuticals in general. Yeah. Um, what's your stance on that? Because I really didn't get a clear. We didn't really talk about in the book. You really didn't talk about modern, you know, right. our modern our modern issues, which are yeah. And I, I mean, I kind we're, of we're intentionally... sacrificing children, and we've got yeah the the, the the pharmaceutical, the pills, the 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 stimulants, the depressants, and everything in between. Yeah. And then you've got. I mean, do we have you know lizard overlords? That's yet to be determined. But what do you think about the current pharmacy situation, the pharmaceutical situation in this country? Um, so I, I did, I kind of intentionally did not touch on that just because it's a, a much more complicated subject in my mind. Um, but I do think that it's a natural, it's something I've thought about a lot since writing the book and also while writing the book. Um, I think it's something we need to be aware of and careful of. Um, I think that, you know, if you kind of rewind a hundred years ago or 200 years ago, zero percent of kids were on drugs right like you you could go to you know a village pull out 100 kids none of them were doing any kind of drug for anything mm -hmm. um now if you go to your local uh, you know middle school or or high school tons of kids are on drugs for all kinds of psychological issues physical issues etc they're all they're all on something right like it's a it's a dramatic shift in what we've happened has happened in society and um for me I'm you know especially after writing this book and and looking at this you know I think we need to be careful like I I think we need to say did have we gone have we taken our our children and for that matter our adults because it's not much better you get to adults it's even worse right so like adults are are the number of women for example on psychological medicine of some sort is is ridiculous is a crazy number of people and and you say well what is the effect of that and if it does have this spiritual effect which i think at least in some of those cases it does it could potentially be a very negative effect and um, it's one of those things I think as a society we're sleepwalking into. We're just assuming, oh, doctors know what they're doing. You know, they're treating these things well. And we're just like trusting these these people that have, by the way, no training in the spiritual world, right? These aren't priests. These aren't um, people that are uh, Russian Orthodox uh, experts. These aren't biblical scholars. These aren't, these, these are just guys doing, you know, assuming atheism and handing pills to people and by the way there's a big financial benefit for them to hand pills out right yeah. there's a whole industry here so they're just doing it haphazardly and as a result we've got a ton of people that are doing these drugs that 
could have very negative spiritual consequences. And one of the things I've thought about is like, we have all these school shootings, right? Like we've got all these, everyone's freaking out about it. And rightfully so it's terrible, you know, horrible stuff that's happening. Um, if you look at like almost all of these school shooters, almost a hundred percent of them, they're all on some kind of psychological medicine. And, you know, people will say, well, they were crazy. That's why they're on the psychological medicine. And then they, they shot up the school maybe, but maybe that's not the causation. Maybe, you know, maybe the psychological medicine took what was kind of ordinary depression or ordinary sadness and it made it way worse yeah. in some way. You know, maybe it, it did talking about demons. Maybe it did. They, on some level, they encountered the demonic and that demonic force encouraged them to go shoot up a school, you know? And I think that's, it's hard for atheists to hear, but like, I, I think there's, that's something based on everything I've written, everything I've studied, I think it's something as a society we need to start talking about. And, you know, my personal opinion is, is almost no kid ever should be taking any kind of pill for anything. You know, like it, you know, if it's, if it's not an absolutely necessary drug for a physical issue, they shouldn't be on it. You know, I, I don't encourage people to take pills for depression pills for um adhd you know any of those things i i just think you're introducing something that is at a minimum risky you know and especially when you look at all the stuff we've talked about and especially if you're a christian and you're listening like th there's there's a risk here that i think we're introducing to the general public um and there's that phrase that everybody says that you know fools rush in where angels fear to tread but there's a very literal form of that right like there's this form of us rushing into the spiritual world that even angels wouldn't want to to deal with <laughs> you know like there's this 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 risk and i think as a society we're kind of rushing into that we're doing it kind of in the recreational drug use but i think we're also doing it in the more medicinal drug use as well mm -hmm. you know my thing is the, the pill people, like people that do the oxys or, you know, like the, the the amphetamines at high levels, you know, a lot of times they're going to the streets to get the the real stuff, the the heroin, the the uh, meth. And I think those damage your energy field more than anything. You know, these are the most destructive drugs. So that, that's the other defending thing I have with psychedelics. In my experience, most of these psychedelics have told me a we control the experience it's you know it's based on the person's uh you know unconscious stuff what they need to learn we control the dose and and like for example i've told the story a lot one time i took five grams of mushrooms and i'd done all the work i was ready for a great trip i had everything set up and nothing happened okay that's a lot of mushrooms for nothing to happen and i knew the batch was good okay weeks months later i'm sitting with some friends they're going to take whatever amount I'm just going to sit with them. So I'm going to take 0.5. So half a gram. This one put me on the floor and crying and shaking. And I'm, I'm supposed to be the expert. The mushrooms told me, they're like, look, we control the experience. Now, I'm not saying every psychedelic is like that. Everybody's, the other thing is everybody's electromagnetic field, their um, unconscious mind. It's everybody's different. That's why I'm, I prefer to do them alone. My general advice is don't do them because they're illegal. They're hard to get a hold of. And, you know, is it worth the risk? I'm not going to recommend it. 
I I was willing to take the risk because I found myself at a point where my life was like, it doesn't matter if I live or die. So I'm just going to try these things out and see if there's anything to it. Um, and so that's why I still defend these things is I found benefit to them. It's led me to God. It's led me to be a good, what I consider a good, a better person at least. And, but your book though, it's like, your book is basically saying it, what I get from it at least is in the modern world, we're unleashing the demon again, like almost like the book, the, the beast in Revelation. Like, I think that's almost what you're implying, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm implying. And like, I here's my, I guess, pushback to what you're saying there is that I think um, that if we consider these entities to be like gods, Right, which is what the pagans thought. Mm -hmm. You know, you go to Aztecs or you go to like the Thor. Inca or, you know, yeah, like Thor, exactly. Yeah, like so true. And by the way, the Norse did have, the Vikings did have a variety of psychedelic drugs that they used. Um, but if we consider these things to be like gods, I think we have to realize that they know how to manipulate us, they know how to manipulate our mind. So I think if, you know, for example, if I took LSD and the LSD just immediately showed me a serpent and the serpent was like, Hey, go kill your kid or go kill the shoot up the school or whatever. I would never take it again. And if everybody got that experience, we wouldn't be legalizing it. Right. So I think if you think about, you know, a very intelligent entity that wanted to get maybe a large number of people on drugs or maybe you know, get control of a whole society isn't out of the gate necessarily going to encourage bad things. As a matter of fact, they might start with good things. You know, think think about like your average con man. If you kind of went, you know, a guy's trying to work a con on you for the first maybe year, you know him, he seems like a really nice guy who's giving you good things and helping you out. And it's only after you trust him with your bank account numbers or whatever that he, he takes everything you have. And that's where I, for me, people taking psychedelics and saying, Hey, I had a good experience or, Hey, this really helped me or, Hey, this really got me out of this bad situation. Um, it's not convincing to me. Right. Like I, I think, okay, well, yeah, there, you know, people you go back to like the pagan days, they wouldn't do magic if it didn't bring them good things. Right. Like if it didn't, if the shamanism didn't heal their kid or, um, help them win the war or, or, um, you know, whatever they were asking for, if it didn't happen, nobody would do them. So the 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 way that the demonic world works is demons always seem nice at first, right? Even think about like biblically in the Garden of Eden, think about the serpent talking to Eve. The serpent shows up and he sounds super reasonable. He's like, did God really say that? You're not really going to die. You'll get some knowledge. Like from a modern day kind of feminism standpoint, here's and. The funny thing is, like some of the psychedelic uh, people like Terrence McKenna talk about this, but here's like a really nice entity. It's like helping her overcome the patriarchy, get knowledge, get wisdom, seems really helpful and nice. And Eve could have rightfully said, hey, the the serpent was nothing but good for me, you know, and, and the serpent was nothing but helpful. And the same way, like Jesus's temptation, you think about his temptation, he goes out into the desert and he's been fasting for a long time. And the the uh, devil shows up and the devil says, hey, I can help you. Here's some bread. You know, you turn that rock into bread. Here's here's how you could get you. You 
you want to control the world, here's how you could get it. And so the, there's this helpfulness of these entities that are is there scripturally that um, you see reflected in a lot of the people that talk about DMT and a lot of the pushback has been exactly that for me has been a lot of people saying, well, it was helpful for me in this way or helpful for me, me in that way. And my answer is always like helpful for now, right? Like it's, it's in, in the short term. Yeah. Like just like the con man that's says, Hey, I'll mow your lawn for you. And you say, Oh, great. Well, what a nice guy. He mowed my lawn. And the whole time he's working up to this bigger con to destroy you. And so like, I, I think, that's my concern is that when we say hey, this was helpful or that was a good experience or that made me feel good or that was the, the experience, I think if we take these as gods that are can do three-dimensional chess or chess and we're we're only able to be in that 2D chess or 4D chess or however you want to say it, like we're we're not able to keep up with them. And that's where I think us thinking we can control it by dosage or taking breaks or whatever. I think it's a risky game. It's, you know, if you, if you thought about, you know, trying to outsmart Einstein or whatever, like you, it'd be. Oh yeah. You, you, uh, can't, out, be you fool, can't outsmart foolish it. to do. Right. You can't outsmart. Yeah. I, I agree with that 100%, which is why I'm a proponent in, if you're relatively reasonable with it, even if you're unreasonable with psychedelics, they kind of control the experience and they can kick you out. I don't find too many psychedelic addicts is what I'm saying. Because after a while, even for myself, I was living in a float center, but it, it got to a point where I'm like, these are not great experiences. It's cost me a ton of energy and I'm not gaining the wisdom versus the energy expenditure wasn't worth it at the time. And it, it basically was saying you need to go work on what we've told you to do. You know, if you believe that these things are beneficial and they're telling you to go you know, it does. I mean, I've had insight into things, you know, it, it elevated my consciousness temporarily. And I've had conversations with like, I had a guy on the beach one day. Um, I was talking about the DMT and he's like, oh, you should do Kundalini yoga. You'll be there every day. Again, I'm trying, I try to defend these things. So back to the, the original, oh, oh, another thing was interesting you talked about. And it's kind of what we were just talking about, you know, what, what what's the long term here? What's the long con? And you talk about the mushroom that I think an ant eats it and then the ant takes it and it explodes the ant like they yeah, explode. Yeah. The, go, go, yeah. They, what's the name of that mushroom? Yeah. Um, that was, I don't have to look it up, but that, like that was cordyceps. an interesting cordyceps. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, a very interesting uh, picture that actually was in Michael Poland's book, how to change your mind. Um, and he gave it kind of as this actually the same parallel that I had, but I don't think he understood the consequence of, of the parallel, but yeah, there's this ant that eats, a mushroom and it's the way the mushroom um reproduces kind of the ant eats it climbs up on top of the mushroom its head actually explodes and spreads spores all over it's a crazy crazy thing um and um the parallel that i drew was that when you have something controlling you for its own purposes not for your purposes um it can be incredibly destructive, or at least you have to be aware that it could be destructive. And, you know, the ant probably doesn't think, Hey, my head's about to explode or, or wouldn't have eaten the right. the mushroom or wouldn't have climbed the mushroom up. It's probably thinking, Hey, good food or whatever it is it, it, in its own, assuming it's 
for its own interest, but it's not. And so the in terms of the long con, I don't know what it is, um, but I do know, here's here's what I would say, is that in scripture, and again, this is a, a Christian argument, but I, I think everybody can take this seriously, um, is in scripture, in the Old Testament, for example, in Nahum chapter three, I think verse four, it says, um, pharmakia, um, it talks about all the violence that will come. And then it says, and it will lead whole nations astray. And then that same phrase is repeated in Revelation chapter 18 of, of uh, pharmakia leading whole nations astray. And my biggest concern with the fact that, and the the growth of psychedelic usage is, is just exploded recently. I think Joe Rogan, you know, Graham Hancock, Michael Pollan, um, like I said, World Economic Forum is doing it. It's it's crazy. And I I think it the most dangerous thing about pharmacia, the most dangerous thing scripturally, is when whole societies start doing it. Um, because then you get you lose the feedback of other people telling you you're going crazy. You know, you lose the feedback of other people saying, Hey, those ideas are are bad. Or you lose the feedback of, of the check of other people because everybody else is encountering the same spirits, the same entities. And I think that's when things really go off the rails. So I, I, I think it can be destructive for an individual, but I think at the societal level, it's particularly destructive, at least just judging by other societies that have done it. And, you know, in many ways, the Inca and the Aztec were every bit as advanced as Christianity at the day, at the time. In many ways, they had better buildings, better technology, better, you know, incredibly advanced math, um, very intelligent people. Um, but at the same time, they, they've, they've set up a, a pyramid where they're like ripping people's hearts out while they're still alive and throwing their body down. The, you know, like it's, it's a crazy, they've got an industrial human sacrifice thing. And I think that's the danger is when you have, it's not an intelligence thing. It's not the, the, the danger is when everyone starts doing things, wicked stuff starts coming. And, you know, to some degree or another, like you see that in society where like everything seems like it's going crazy a little bit. Like it seems like society as a whole, there's weird assumptions that 20 years ago, you know, it's, it's funny. I was walking behind a couple downtown, um, my city here, and the couple was talking about TV shows from like 10 years ago, the office, uh, parks and recreation. And they were, they were, it was a man and a woman. They were just talking about, oh, that show couldn't be made today. Oh, that show couldn't be made today. And in my head, I'm thinking, why couldn't it be made? And the answer is that we've all changed our assumptions about what's good and what's bad. And that's kind of that example of like how when everyone starts changing assumptions, you, what what is good and evil can absolutely flip around. Oh, and yeah. what 100%. seemed just, just 10 years ago seemed like a good thing now is a bad thing. And what seems like a a a bad thing 10 years ago now is considered a good thing. And um, I, that's my fear for the long con is like, things can get so much worse than what they are today. And, and even like when people say good things about you know, drugs for spiritual purposes, where they'll say, well, some people stop being atheists. A majority of people DMT doing DMT stop being atheists. That's amazing, right? Like that. How as a Christian could you be against that? And my answer is, I think there's worse things than atheists out there. 
right? Oh, I don't yeah. want people to be atheists, but there's worse things than atheists out there. There's, there's, we right. can go further down the road of, of do evil. as thou wilt, Satanist. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that for that, me, that's a big takeaway. A lot of times, if you don't go the 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 right handed path, you're going down that left handed path of you know I'm the and the LSD will say you know what you are God. You know, it's our, if you have a, yeah. the wrong ego is orientated in the wrong direction, which if it if it acid destroys enough, I don't know how that could be possible. But I've definitely had those experiences. And I think this is what the Illuminati is, right? They, they're supposedly illuminated, but it's nefarious. It's evil. You know what I mean? They and I think we've got, well, you know, what you describe in this book and the whole thrust of the book is this, the return of the dragon, which is basically these pre-Christian civilizations were basically run by reptiles that they were feeding human sacrifices to because they were on drugs, which brought these lizard t uh, entities into the realm. Then cr Christianity comes through, pushes these things back, cuts the heads off this monster m many times over because the head keeps growing back. We lock it down for a thousand years. And then right now we're in this process of reopening the Pandora's box that we've somehow been able to seal through Christianity because we've rejected Christianity and now we are our own gods and DMT, LSD, psilocybin, and these entities are now and have to crack the door open and we're letting them in. Basically, that's what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And um, and we've kind of, as a society, we have amnesia. Like we've forgotten why we closed the door. We've forgotten, you know, what how bad it could get. Right. So like one of the things I talk about is some of the medieval myths about dragons. You know, I, I talked about um, St. George and the dragon. Um, St. George is the patron saint of England. But St. George um, came to a city that was being terrorized by a dragon. The dragon was demanding human sacrifice. He killed the dragon, saved the princess. Um, and that's why he's the patron saint of the royal family of england is he's supposed to protect the the prince and and uh the princess and um that we've we used to have that language we used to know what dragons were we used to know they were bad we used to know that these entities were not something to be played around with and we've we've got amnesia now and now you have people writing articles about Yo, here's become a, a psychonaut and go in and experience these entities and talk to these entities and and there's no defense mechanism and yeah. there's no like there's no like what if they're evil and I've had people laugh at me when I said that well what if, how do you know it's a good entity and they'll laugh at me and they'll say, I can just tell like I know it is um, and nah <laughs> there used there used to be a structure and getting back to the Eastern Orthodox thing. Eastern Orthodox still kind of have it, right? They know you read Doctor or Father Seraphin Rose, or you read Father Spirion uh, Bailey, and they talk about these things. They talk about spiritual discernment and those kind of things. And we need to get back to that. We need to have that, um, and just putting everybody on drugs, whether it's the pharmaceutical industry or psychedelics, um, is just like. And it's walking into the snake pit, literally, and it's it's uh, insane. It's like little kids walking into a snake pit, basically, and it's terrifying. Yeah. Now, yeah, I look at your cover, and I've had this thought for a while. Have you thought about the macro, which is parasites? They're basically kind of like little surface, little you know, like serpents, little snaky type things. That the parasites are actually the things that get inside of us and cause 
the like the demonic dark unconscious behavior the hollowing out if you will that the parasite you know because of your low vibrational behavior your your diet your lifestyle you you've become this hotbed of parasitic activity and that the demons operate through in the physical realm through the parasite have you ever considered it because the book looks like a parasite the front cover looks like he's fighting a giant parasite yeah yeah um that's uh that is hercules and the hydra on that picture um but that's an interesting parallel that that there's might be some truth to that um but that the story of hercules and the hydra is where he's fighting a serpent and it's interesting how many stories in in ancient mythology are about serpents but he's fighting the serpent and every time he cuts off a head it grows back two heads and it's kind of a picture of how um ultimately what he does is he brings a friend and they they start searing off the the stubs after they cut them off um but for me that was an illustration of how hard christendom worked to kill the dragon right and it it seemed over the top at times and and we the way we tell modern stories were like oh the witch hunts or whatever and not I, and i'm not i don't encourage any violence whatsoever you know i uh, what but that's not my point but my point is the effort was hardcore and we've we're kind of giving that legacy away so that was kind of what that image on the front of my book was intended to illustrate is that effort that was done throughout history and how we're kind of rather than cutting those heads off and and searing them and preventing them from growing back it's almost like we're we're planting seeds to to grow more right no exactly exactly it's fertile ground for parasite and, and yeah. it looks just like this i'm telling you it's it's because i've had this theory for a long time that the, the de demonic realm um operates through like lower life intelligence around us specifically inside of us like as a passenger um just a theory that i've been working with for a while and it's just interesting to see the parallel here with um I mean, let me ask you this. Do you think like, you know, you know, David Icke is right. You know, the, oh, the guy know. that the guy that sees the lizard people used to work for the news a long time ago. Yeah, and he's yeah, been. Yeah, I know. that guy. Yep. Yeah. Do, do you think that like, do, do you know the movie They Live? Yes. Yep. Uh, do you think do you think that, that the scenario that we're living with where we got demon uh, lizard people walking around amongst us? Or do you think this is um, all just stuff confined to like spiritual ghosty type metaphysical um i think they're extra dimensional per personally by the way my personal take on aliens is they could be good or bad meaning they're angels or demons and they're from another dimension entirely yeah um that's i mean that's the premise of the ufo deception by um father bailey so i would encourage you should check that okay nice, super, nice super good yeah um but um, yeah, to answer your question, I don't think that um, the demons are taking physical form and literally ruling over us. Um, but I do think that the way demons work is they possess people and they possess them mm -hmm. through some of these practices. Um, and for I sure that you that, yeah. definitely you let them in. I've been possessed before right. with some of these entities. Yeah, and it's amazing how many people I've talked to that have, even people that were pro-drug have said, yeah, I was possessed. Um, and so it's it's interesting how, how it's very real it happens. But yeah, so I, I think, I mean, to answer your question, I, I don't, I wouldn't say like 
demons literally are walking around ruling over us but i do think in i shouldn't even say literally they're they're not corporally physically right. ruling over us but right. i think they're they they are ruling through people that uh, have I, given themselves over that's to what i think the too demonic world. They're, yeah they're hollowed out and they've sold out or they've you know willingly consciously done it um well i guess i want to get back to the final question which was the original question you definitively said you think dmt is evil do you do you think dmt is evil or do you think it opens up the possibility to realms where evil exists and and, and before we get into that actually what do you how do you define evil because that was one of the questions my audience wanted to ask was what is your definition of evil so i would define evil as um and you know I, i'll go back to my own views on on theology and and philosophy as i i do believe in an unmoved mover i believe in the god of the universe that created all things i believe he is ultimately our conception of good i think all things all good things come from him and i would say evil is the absence of him the absence of his of his will of his purpose um and i think um he lays out what he wants us to do and i think following him is good and i think going away from him is evil and i i think that's a very philosophical answer to your question. I think but, in, practi but, in practice, by your definition, though, you're right. By yeah. your definition, DMT is evil. By right. your definition of evil, right. that's and that's I, what we had to define it, I guess. Yeah, and I think in but in practice, I think evil is those things that are, you know, I think ultimately, loving God and loving our neighbor as ourself is is kind of the shorthand for everything that God wants from us. And I think what DMT does is it, and not just DMT, but all drugs for spiritual purposes and many other practices as well, opens us up to entities that will then push us towards hating our 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 God or hating our our brothers and sisters and and fellow neighbors and and the people around us. And so I do think. I mean, a physical thing is a physical thing, right? So it, by itself, it's not evil. But I think the practice of taking a drug that then opens you up to a portal of of not good things, I think, is an evil practice. And so, obviously, that's a simplified phrase. But like, I, I would say, I'm much more definitive than you. I would say nobody should do it. It's just it's a dangerous thing that will lead you personally down a bad spiritual road and will lead um to you know your personal harm and the harm of people around you and if enough people do it i believe that it will lead whole nations astray <laughs> like i think it will take us down the road of an aztec situation well that's the thing I, I was uh, that was where i was at with your book i was like do i feel condemned here or not you know like thinking about Again, when I do my content, people could say, "Yeah, I, I proliferate um, discussion about it." That's at a minimum what I do through memes and art and concepts. What I try to do is microdose your phone with some, and it doesn't even have to be psychedelic. It, it could be spiritual concept, metaphysical, anything. Just kind of microdose your reality because there's almost there's a whole bunch of bullshit on your phone all the time you know in half naked chicks and politics and all, all everything in between and if i can microdose your reality with something that can you know maybe expand your mind in a positive way then 
you know, and if you're suffering, you know, maybe this could help alleviate suffering. So that's where I'm, that's the angle I'm coming from. And again, like my whole journey is trying to reconcile, is this good? Is this, is this biblical? And I, I appreciate the expansion uh, through the Greek of the whole thing about the, you know, every, you know, cause you're right. You look into the Bible for drug definition and it, you know, what does it say? And it's like, well, alcohol and, uh, and that's basically really it. And you could say, well, maybe something like in the garden of Eden, they took a mushroom or something like what was the forbidden fruit, but really it's undefined and it's all speculative, but you, yeah, but when you take that word though, then it's like, whoa, they're not just doing witchcraft and witchcraft actually means they're mixing brews and, and doing seances and, and, you know, doing these spiritually charged practices with, uh, psychedelics to, you know, Open up. I, I ultimately, I think here's what I think. I don't think DMT is evil because I it can't be good either. It just is. You know what I mean? We make it. It's like a gun. A gun. Do you think a gun is good or evil? No, I think a gun is is a gun, good or evil. Sure. Right. It's yeah. just and it's an indifferent thing, and so that's why I think DMT is. It's a tell. It's like a telephone into another dimension. It's like playing with a Ouija board. Uh, you know, uh, the Bible talks about stuff like that all the time, divination and and, and talking to spirits and stuff. Totally, I agree, and I agree on the basis of you don't know what you're talking to. Even if the even if the spirit says it's good, it could be a con man saying, uh, you know, it could be a con man of a spirit. You don't know, like, you know, basically somebody told me if it can't identify uh, Christ, it's not some spirit you want to talk to. You know, if it doesn't want to do anything, have anything to do with Christ, you know, you need to move on from that spirit. But even then, I mean, a spirit can't lie. I mean, who's to say? Yeah. So well, that's why it's to be the, avoided. Yeah. One of the interesting things uh, that um, Father uh, Seraphim Rose talks about is he goes through like some of the ancient saints, like fourth century, fifth century, sixth century saints, and he talks about how they would encounter spirits and they would test all the spirits, you know, because the Bible says test the spirit. Yeah. And so they would do things like the spirit would say, Hey, I'm an angel, or Hey, I'm Christ, or whatever. And they would make the spirit give praise to christ and they like if and so they do all kinds of tests to the spirits themselves and the spirits eventually would um reveal themselves to be demonic so that was one of the interesting things about that seraphim rose book is like he talked about how you can test spirits and 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 um how uh dangerous it is for people to just take spirits at their word that they will lie to you they will tell you the falsehood so yeah. Well, I got one more thing for you here and then we'll we'll wrap it up. I appreciate the a little bit extra time here. I was getting ready for our thing today on Twitter again and I saw something. I follow this thing called the Secret Sun Speaks at Secret Sun Blog. And he had this 10-point thing about how to create a clown world in 10 easy steps. It says step one, be a race of transdimensional clown demons from some unknowable and godforsaken other realm. Step two, find a medium to directly interface with denizens of the world you wish to be a clown, or you wish to be clown, which is to make clown. And he's got a picture of the acacia tree here. Okay, so the the DMT entities put the acacia tree here, and it said, then it says step three, broadcast your message through said medium and see who receives it. And it's the picture of the DMT, the spirit molecule book. I'm sure you've read that one, Rick Strassman. Yeah, I said it a number of times, yeah. Then it says step four, Cherry pick some willing dupes to serve your agenda. A secretive cult of well-placed weirdos will do the trick quite nicely. And it's got the Freemasons, and it's got uh, apparently the Masons were using Acacia DMT in their initiation rituals. 
Uh, that's a fact. And then it says step five, demand your dupes show fealty by dressing up like the trans-dimensional clown demons. Their somewhat ridiculous public image will help camouflage your true intent. And it's got like the Shriners and the Masons and the they got their clown wigs and their noses on. And it says, you know, promote clownery through their influence with entertainment. You've got clowns and Ringling Brothers and like Red Fox was a Freemason, apparently. <laughs> and it keeps going on and going on and list influencers to encourage potential vessels. And it's basically what we were talking about, which was, you know, these things are finding a way in to long con their influence and it says step 10 here unleash the latest generation of purified malignant clownery and undergo final preparations for trans-dimensional takeover and you've got all these uh drag queens story hour demon looking people you know the 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 far left possess i think they're possessed and mentally ill um nobody, nobody wants to hear that but <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that that's a interesting yeah you send that to me on twitter but i'd love to check that out but that's that's an interesting thing and yeah there's a lot of truth to that for clown sure. demons have yeah they've planted the acacia tree and we we did the rest you know it's just, everything's an offer you, i don't know if you ever listen to owen benjamin but um yep. society uh it's an offer man you, you don't have to engage in any of these things and that's why refined knowledge refined like knowing the bible like real like real biblical stuff too not this inverted um christianity we have today in the west and that's again why like i think a lot of people are like going towards orthodoxy which is man this other stuff is so watered down or satanic or inverted that they're not getting any real you know they're not quenching their thirst with it at all and so i think that's where you see a lot of people going into orthodoxy especially younger people because a lot of the churches i was i would go to maybe 10 years ago were just like rock bands singing songs i didn't like at all you know i couldn't get into it at all for me but then psychedelics changed my life and it brought me closer towards christ so it's like when when somebody's like oh yeah it's definitely evil i gotta i gotta, I gotta see what that's all about but it's yeah, been such a great conversation yeah, oh, go ahead. it has and i was gonna say i i i am always careful to qualify this is that good can come from bad things right so like i've known people that came to christ thanks to a divorce they had or came to christ when someone died that they loved or so i i don't for a moment believe that good things can't come from someone doing a drug or whatever like i uh, of course things can but that i i would say that doesn't mean the thing itself is good just like you know you say i came to christ after someone you know my mother died or whatever doesn't mean anybody should go kill their mother right <laughs> so like there's i in my mind there's a difference between saying something good came out of doing this even though it was bad to something good came out of this therefore it was good and i my that's my pushback is like yeah i i don't doubt that you know your psychedelic experiences were good I had good effects on you necessary, you know, at least in some cases. And I think you'd, you'd be open that sometimes it wasn't good, but like, no, oh, for sure. But, totally. Yeah, totally. But, many horrible times, but I don't, for me, that doesn't mean that it's a good practice. Right. So it, for exactly why I said, so. Uh, like I said, I agree with probably like 90%, maybe more if we really like wrote everything down and like put check marks next to it. But yeah. it was really interesting reading this book 
like I said, the first 40 pages for me were like everything I already knew about, you know, you did a really good job going through the history and all that. But yeah, the real meat and potatoes start about a third of the way in. And then it's it's really a lot of mind expanding stuff. If you're into the, the biblical angle on what's really going on in psychedelics, pharmacia, uh, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, thank you so much. That uh, I I appreciate it. I'm glad uh, glad you enjoyed enjoyed it. And, oh, uh, my my audience is going to love this episode. Yeah. My audience loves this stuff. So, and I'm Good. into it too. Like the the more I'm into a guest, the more obviously they can tell. But um, a lot of people, I think, do a lot of psychedelics and they don't have any grounding in any kind of spiritual experience, whether it's Hinduism, Christianity, Orthodoxy, anything. And they go through that and they experience, I I would consider mirrors of their mind, right? Reflected back to them. And they could be ultimately demonic or angelic. And then they come out of that experience believing God knows what, ungrounded, completely ungrounded. Um, So people that don't do drugs also would like to have some insight into, you know, maybe, hey, hey son, maybe really this is not biblical. You know, if you if if you're really practicing that kind of stuff, but yeah, again, I could keep talking to you. What do you want to promote? Your website, the book. What do you got yeah, going the, on? The book, Return of the Dragon: Shocking Way Drugs and Religion Have Shaped People and Societies. So check that out. Um, find find it on Amazon. There's an audible version of that as well. Um, my uh, Substack. That I I mentioned uh, some of these other topics that I covered that I didn't didn't make it into the book. My Substack is Lewis ungit.substack.com people can go there doesn't cost anything i got no paywall so um check that out you can read about the aztecs that kind of thing and i also talk um my next book that i'm kind of thinking about writing and i'm working on and i'm posting articles on is um about technology and kind of some of the spiritual elements of technology and how that affects people so um i've you'll see maybe previews of chapters on my Substack, etc. But go go to my Substack, check that out, and uh, you can read many of my other thoughts. And uh, and that's that. So I uh, hope everybody checks that out. Fan friggin-tastic. I saw the book was printed in Orlando, too. I got it like the next day. It's like right next to me, apparently. But uh, I, I recommend everybody buy a physical copy. It was only $10. It was worth it. It's nice to have a physical thing in your hand especially with the way the world's going you know you might not have access to certain things or or you might have not even have electricity but you got a book so go buy the man's book lewis ungate it was it was great uh talking to you thank you for expanding my theology my understanding of the bible different perspective it it doesn't happen often at this point with as much exploring as i've done but when it does happen man it can be very life-changing so thank you for uh condemning helping helping me condemn myself (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. It was awesome. Yes, sir, man. You are enlightened. I appreciate it. Um, Hopefully we'll talk to you again soon in the future when the next book comes out. Absolutely. Thanks, man.